coming up on this episode of Inside the Epicenter. So what does the rapture mean to us? Number one, it means no death. It means that there is a generation that will not see death, that will be caught up in a moment in the twinkling of an eye into the presence of the Lord. Are we that generation? No one could say with certainty, but boy, I'll tell you what, I really believe we could be. Have you ever asked the Lord for just a sign, something that would assure you that something would get better or something would change? God's Word has given us a lot of signs, especially signs about His coming again. Hi, welcome to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and I know you'll be blessed by today's message called The Rapture of the Church and the Signs of the Times by Pastor Greg Laurie. I know you'll enjoy this. God bless. Hey, I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning, I always check the weather. And by the way, in case you're wondering what the weather in Philadelphia is going to be today, it's a high of 93 and a low of 74. But I have found there are times when the weathermen will tell me that it's going to rain that day and it doesn't rain, or they say it isn't going to rain and it does rain. One sure proof method I found to make it rain is just wash my car. It never seems to fail. I will point out though that I usually know when it's raining before anyone else. And I'll tell you why. Bald men always know when it's raining first. It's true. I was walking with my wife down the street a while back and I said, it's raining. She said, it's not raining. Now, you have to see my wife to understand. She has a lot of hair. It's very thick. I could take what she casts off in a brush and have a revival on my head, okay? But uh, she says, it's not raining. I says, no, it's raining. She goes, how do you know? I said, bald men always know when it's raining first. I felt the drops right here. You know, you can go out and see for yourself. You can look out the window and read the obvious weather signs. Well, I think you know where I'm going with this. And the title of my message is Signs of the Times. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 3, you're good at reading the weather signs in the sky, but you can't read the obvious signs of the times. Now, sometimes signs are hard to read. We just got back from a trip to Israel and their signs are in Hebrew. And if that doesn't make it hard enough, sometimes they're in Arabic as well. I don't read either one of those languages. When we were in Rome, I could sort of make out English words from some of the signage, but not in Israel. And then there's things that are lost in translation, even in places where the English language is supposedly spoken. Here's a list of signs I read about that are in English in different parts of the world. And if you travel internationally, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. For instance, in a Japanese hotel room, they wanted to give a message to the guest. And the sign says, this isn't a joke, please to bathe inside the tub. So that's as opposed to bathing outside of the tub. In a Paris hotel elevator is this sign. In English, please leave your values at the front desk as opposed to your valuables. Outside a Hong Kong tailor shop, ladies may have a fit upstairs. Well, there's two ways you can think about that. Here's one of my favorites. In an advertisement by a Hong Kong dentist, 
teeth are extracted by the latest Methodists. Not, I didn't know the Methodists were doing that now. Here's a rather frightening one in the window of a Swedish furrier. Uh, fur coats made for ladies from their own skin. Oh. Here's another one. This is in Japan again. Uh, a sign by the road, stop, drive sideways. I'll try. Here's my favorite of all in the Copenhagen Airline ticket office. We take your bags and send them in all directions. Yes, you do. And so do most of the airlines as well. Sometimes signs are easy to read. Other times they're not as clear. But without a question, the signs of the times are around us to read that Jesus is coming back. It's been said a couple of times you ought to have a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And as believers, we pay attention as we look at the epicenter uh, there in Israel and specifically Jerusalem and obviously any threats against the existence of the state of Israel, any talk about conflict breaking out in Jerusalem is of great interest to the student of prophecy. And if you're fascinated by this, you're always looking for things. Now I have to say, I, I know a few people that maybe try to find a fulfillment of Bible prophecy in just about anything. You know, they're scouring the one ads or signs of the times that you can maybe get a little bit too carried away. Here's one thing to remember. We're told we can know when the times and seasons are, but no man knows the day or the hour. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36, of that day and hour knows no man, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. If you were to translate that from the original language, it would pretty much say the exact same thing. Okay. So this is what Jesus is saying. Don't try to pick out a date and people have done that. No one knows the day of the hour. Sometimes the chronology becomes more important to us than the theology and we end up with mythology. And we can get sidetracked and distracted. So let's keep our eye on the ball, on the big picture. Christ is coming. Okay, now I want to talk about what that means. Because we've heard a lot about how soon it could be. We've heard quite a bit about uh, things that are happening that remind us that it's soon. But what is the next event on the prophetic calendar? No one can say with complete certainty. It could be the attack of Magog, read Russia, on Israel. Uh, I certainly don't expect the Antichrist to emerge. It's my belief that the Antichrist cannot emerge on the scene until the church is caught up to meet the Lord in heaven. Therefore, I'm not looking for Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. So I think it's a bit of a, a waste of our time to try to figure out who the Antichrist is. But I believe the next event, most likely on the prophetic calendar, will be the rapture of the church. Now, some people protest this and they say, well, the word rapture isn't in the Bible. Well, I won't disagree with you. It depends on what kind of translation you read. If you read a Latin translation, you would find the word rapturus in there. But certainly the event is spoken of many times. Paul addressed it in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, a very familiar verse. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. And we which are alive and remaining shall be caught up. That's that word. A rapturist taken by force, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Is this spoken of elsewhere? Yes, it is. John 14. 
Jesus said in my father's house are many mansions that were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you unto myself and that phrase could be translated I'll take you by force. Again referring to it Christ says in Matthew 24 40 two men will be in the field one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. This shows that it's a global event. Some are working in a field. It's afternoon. Others are in bed. It's nighttime. Instantaneously around the globe all those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. How long will it take? It'll happen so quickly you couldn't measure it in human time. It's in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. That comes from the word atomos and it's one thousandth of a second. (laughs) That's how fast. Uh, One night my wife and I were laying in bed. It's okay, we're married. And um, (laughs) we were talking about the Lord's return. And, And my wife said, Greg, just imagine we could be laying here in bed and wake up the next morning in heaven. Greg, wouldn't that be great? Just imagine. As she's saying it, being the practical joker I can be at times I quietly slipped out of the bed and I was laying on the floor she said Greg just imagine we'll be Greg Greg Greg!" (laughs) laying on the ground laughing don't do that I am a professional (laughs) idiot so yes Paul addresses at 1 Corinthians 15 we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye now There are approximately 7 billion people on the face of the earth today. How many of those are Christians? No one could say with certainty. I've read that there are some 2 billion Christians on the face of the earth. I find that very unlikely. So let's be very conservative and let's cut it in half and say there's 1 billion. Let's even be more conservative and say there's 500 million. No matter how you slice it or dice it, imagine the effect on planet Earth if 500 million and certainly 1 billion people suddenly disappear. You could see how economies would collapse literally overnight. You could see how things would be ripe for that coming world leader the Bible calls the beast and the Antichrist to emerge on the scene and so forth. Now, here's something we need to consider. When we talk about the rapture, it's a glorious event, but when Paul addressed the topic, he also talked to those who had loved ones who had already died. What happens to them? Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, concerning those who have fallen asleep lest you sorrow as those that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Sleep is only used to describe the believer in death. And the Bible is not suggesting that we go into a state of suspended animation or a soul sleep. It's just using a a metaphor to help us to understand that it's not a horrific thing for a believer to die because we go into God's presence. You know, I don't know how you feel about sleep, but I kind of like sleep. You know, when I was a little child, I remember I had to take naps and I never liked that. I have two granddaughters. You just say the word nap and they start crying. But sometimes my wife will say, why don't you go take a nap? I'm like, yeah, nap, good. (laughs) So that's a picture that is used. But we all know that when a Christian dies, they go to heaven. 
And the rapture is that moment when we will be reunited with them. Now, this is very personal to me. You see, because I have loved ones in heaven right now, like many of you do. My mom's in heaven. My father who adopted me is in heaven. And 2008, my son went to heaven. No one ever expects their child to precede them. I have to say of, of anyone who has gone to be with the Lord before me, when it's your child, it, it hurts. And sometimes people will come up and say, well, Greg, are you over it yet? And I have to say, no. And I don't know that I'll ever be over it. I'm just getting through it. And one trusts the word of God and these promises of heaven, these promises of an afterlife, the teaching that Christ could come back at any moment is not just stuff I talk about. This is stuff that moves me deeply. Because you see, the rapture is going to produce a glorious reunion. Moms and dads are going to be reunited with sons and daughters and sons and daughters with moms and dads. Brothers reunited with brothers and sisters with sisters. Friends reunited with friends. Your sorrow immediately vanishes and it's replaced by ecstatic joy. So we're not like those that have no hope. We have hope because of the promise of God. So what does the rapture mean to us? Number one, it means no death. It means that there is a generation that will not see death, that will be caught up in a moment in the twinkling of an eye into the presence of the Lord. Are we that generation? No one could say with certainty, but boy, I'll tell you what, I really believe we could be. And I believe it could happen even today, and I'm sure you do as well. Number two, as I've mentioned, the rapture is instantaneous. It's in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. So quickly, you can't even measure it in human time. Thirdly, the rapture is a transformation. See, God's going to give you a brand new resurrection body. Disabilities suddenly disappear. Strength returns. Old age melts away. Sorrows are replaced by pure joy. Paul describes it this way, we're citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus lives and we're eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior where he will take these weak mortal bodies of ours and turn them into glorious bodies like his using the same mighty power that he used to conquer everything everywhere. You see, the blueprint for your glorified body is in the body you now possess. Heaven is the earthly life of the believer glorified and perfected. When we pass over to the other side, our minds, our memories are clearer than they've ever been before. Because sometimes people will ask, well, will we know one another in heaven? What do you think you're going to know less in heaven than you know on earth? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 that we will know as we are known. Now, I don't know if that means that we'll know as much as God. I seriously doubt that, but we'll know a lot more than we know now. A whole lot more. And I would even add to that, we will have perspective, you see. Perspective changes everything. It's not just knowledge, but it's seeing things from the vantage point of heaven. Right now, we don't always have perspective. We're in the middle of the chaos and the turmoil. Maybe you're going through a hard trial right now, and it makes no sense to you, but you're believing God's word when he says he works all things together for good to those that love him. But as you read the stories of people like Joseph and Job, they didn't know the end of the story. It's easy to be critical of Job when he begins to complain to the Lord for multiple chapters. But check this out. Job never read the end of the book of Job. He was just living it in real time. 
One morning he's worshiping God, blessing his children, enjoying his great wealth and health. And the next day his money is gone, his health is gone, and his children are gone. But of course we know how God worked through his life. And so here we are going through this in real time. But from heaven's perspective we'll see everything as it needs to be seen. But in this new body that God will give us, how great is that going to be? You know, no longer will we have the limitations of age. No more senior moments. I've been having more and more of those lately. One thing that's happened to me a lot is I forget where I park my car. Am I the only one? So you're walking around hitting your alarm, you know, just. And I'll hit it. Oh, I found it. And it's two levels up. That's the problem. I, I'm on the wrong level. Johnny Erickson Tata, most of you have heard of her. A lady who um, is a quadriplegic as a result of a diving accident when she was a young girl said this about her new body, our new body, in her book, Heaven, Your Real Home. She says, no more bulging middles or balding tops, no varicose veins or crow's feet, no more cellulite or support hose. Forget the thunder thighs and the highway hips, just a quick leapfrog over the tombstone, and it's the body you've always dreamed of, fit and trim, smooth and sleek, end quote. Yeah, that's going to happen at the rapture. When we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And yes, we will know one another. Uh, One indication of this is uh, our body will be like the body of Jesus. When Christ who is our life shall appear, we shall be like him. So what do we know about the body of Jesus? Well, we know it was a physical body, right? Because he bore his his hands and his side, the marks of the crucifixion. Remember when he appeared to Thomas and said, go ahead, put your hand on my side. Isn't that what you asked for? Uh, At the same time, we know that he could appear in a room at will without using a door. Then again, he ate. He ate fish. Uh, Then again, he ascended to heaven slowly. So does that mean that we can eat, enter rooms without using the door and fly? I hope so, because that all sounds good to me. (laughs) But you remember when Moses and Elijah appeared at the transfiguration, that they were recognizable. How do you think that is? Was a mojo. That's kind of... uh, Elijah and Moses together. Emojo. A new word. That's a word for today. Emojo. Right? Write that down. If you don't have time to say Elijah and Moses, say emojo. Anyway. Do you think Moses was standing there with the Ten Commandments? Oh, there's Moses. And Elijah's over there calling fire down. Or maybe they had the little name tags. Hi, my name is Moses. They were recognizable as we will be as well. You see, death breaks ties on earth, but it renews them in heaven. We'll be the same people we were on earth in heaven. I'm not going to be a different Greg Laurie. I'm going to be a perfected Greg Laurie without sin, without the shortcoming. Now, if you see me in heaven, I I would like to say that maybe you should look for a guy with hair. (laughs) But then again, what if our glorified body, no one has hair? What if you with the most hair are in a more fallen state than those of us that... I don't know. One of those mysteries. It'll be cleared up. So what will we do when we get to heaven? Some people think heaven's going to be boring. Not at all. For starters, we're going to worship the Lord. We were created to do that in heaven and on earth. 
We were created to glorify God. Revelation 15 says that we will sing the song of Moses. Another thing that we will be doing in heaven is working for the Lord. You know, I like the idea of resting and kicking back, but I can only rest for so long. I like to be busy, especially being about my father's business. And the Bible tells us in Revelation 22, 3, that his servants will serve him. Revelation 17, uh, 5 says that we'll be serving him day and night in his temple. Sometimes when a life is cut short on earth, we feel that's the greatest tragedy. My son was only 33. That doesn't seem right to me because I see people that are quite old. And sometimes you meet people who seem to almost be wasting their lives. And you say, why do they get to live and my son doesn't live? Why did that child die and that wicked old man just goes on and on? Why? Well, I don't know the answer to that. But you know what I know? Life on earth is not the end. We tend to think everything is life on earth. That's it. And then we go to heaven. Wait, it's just, it's all connected, okay? Yeah, I'm here on earth. My time here, I decide where I'll spend eternity during my stopover on planet earth, if you will. But then I live on. Will we be able to complete tasks in heaven that were started on earth? Possibly. We don't know. What else will we do in heaven? We're going to worship. We're going to work. Check this out. We're going to eat. You have God's word on it. Revelation 19.9. Blessed are those that are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. I like that word supper. That's a southern word. In California we call it dinner. In the south they call it supper. And I was raised by my grandparents for many years and they came from Arkansas. My grandmother made everything from scratch. Uh, fried chicken, mashed potatoes, collard greens, black eyed peas. But her crowning achievement was her biscuit. A buttermilk biscuit. It's almost like there was an anointing on it or something. <laughs> we called her Mama Stella. <laughs> I wonder if the Lord will employ her talents at the wedding supper. I would sure hope so, but it's a wedding supper of the Lamb. I mean, can you imagine sitting down with the great men and women of the Bible and having conversation with them? You know, Moses, would you mind passing the manna over here? <laughs> Lot, could you pass the salt? Oh, Lot, you're, you're so sensitive. I'm joking, Lot. Elijah, can I get a little more fire on this meat? It's undercooked. Come on. Well done, good and faithful servant. Hi, this is Joel Rosenberg. There is nothing more powerful than prayer. We serve a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. So if you would, take a moment right now and pray for our many partners across the epicenter. Many of them regularly face persecution, harassment, and many, many difficulties. And your prayer could make a tremendous difference in the war against evils that face them. We know how the story ends. Let's pray to that end together. But here's the thing. Here's really something I want to emphasize. As we think about the soonness of the Lord's return, let's not miss the point. I mentioned this last night in our interview. As we hear these truths, it should move our hearts. 
It should give us a desire to live a godly life and to reach lost people. We're told over in 1 John 3, yes, friends, we're God's children, and we know when Christ returns we'll be like him. Whoever has this hope purifies himself as Christ is pure, or literally keeps himself pure. So it should affect you in the way that you live. So how should it affect us? That brings us to our text. Luke chapter 12. Let's read the words of Jesus. It's a story he told about being ready for the Lord's return. Verse 35. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding. And when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you, he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. If he should come in the second watch or in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this. If the master of the house had known what hour the thief would have come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore be ye also ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you did not expect. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? The Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give him the portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant who will, he'll find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says, my master is delaying his coming, he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of the servant will come to him in a day when he is not looking for him and in an hour that he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Jesus says in verse 35, as believers waiting for his return in this great parable that our waist should be girded and our lambs should be burning. Now what does that mean? Well, to gird your waist meant to tighten your belt. And back in those days, they wore the long flowing robes and when they wanted freedom of movement, they would pull the robe up above their knees and cinch in their belt so they could move more quickly. You girls know what I'm talking about. If you guys know what I'm talking about, I'm concerned. But um, <laughs> your bathrobes, that's what I'm talking about. And now the oil is a picture uh, that is used again in the parable Jesus told of the foolish bridesmaids who uh, some had oil, some did not. And the idea was the little lamps they had in those days were very simple. It was more like a saucer with some oil in it and a floating wick and they would use that to light the way. It was the first century equivalent of a flashlight. So if we were to update this to our vernacular today. We would say have your running shoes on and fresh batteries in your flashlight. Or to borrow a phrase from the Revolutionary War, keep your powder dry. Be ready to move. Uh, General Boykin talked to us about this earlier, reminding us that we're in a spiritual battle. Listen, friends, the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. And in this battle, we are either advancing or retreating, winning or losing. You cannot be a spiritual pacifist. And so we want to be ready to go, having the full armor of God on. Interesting thing Jesus says in verse 38. If he should come in the second watch or in the third watch, blessed are those servants. Back in those days... They would divide the night into four watches or shifts. The first watch was from six to nine, the second from nine to 12, and the third from 12 to three. So effectively, Jesus was saying, even if I come in the fourth watch, be ready. 
Or another way to say it, even if I come later than you originally expected, be ready. You remember when there was a great storm in the Sea of Galilee and the disciples were rowing, trying to get to shore. We read that Jesus came to them walking on the water. When? In the fourth watch. Which meant they'd been rowing for hours. The dawn was about to break, but here comes Jesus. And here we are rowing along, wondering when the Lord's going to come back. How many more prophecy conferences are we going to have here, Lord? Come on. Let's get on with the program. But God is not late, as some men count lateness. I became a Christian in 1970. There was a lot of talk back then about the Lord's return. The best-selling book of the decade of the 70s was The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. And there were things that made us think it could happen then, like the uh, so-called Yom Kippur War, when it looked like this could be the scenario we read about in Ezekiel. Needless to say, it wasn't. You might almost describe it as something like a dress rehearsal. But we were thinking the Lord's coming back. We had bumper stickers on our car, Jesus is coming. Get right or get left. In case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. You know, things like that. That was a long time ago, friends. And Jesus didn't come. So was my faith misplaced? No. We knew he was coming. And one day to God is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. So this is just a nanosecond in eternity but the Lord is waiting for a reason. And what is that reason? First, Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not late as some men count lateness. He's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let me take a quick poll. How many of you have come to put your faith in Jesus Christ since 1970? Raise your hand up. Oh, aren't you glad he didn't answer our prayers back then? <laughs> yeah, the Lord's been waiting. And I believe there is a person somewhere, that last person that will believe that once they're on board, we're out of here. Can you imagine if you knew who that person was? <laughs> if they were like here today, sitting right next to you, you'd be like, get saved, will you? <laughs> somewhere it's going to happen. And then we're caught up to meet the Lord. So what are we to do? According to this parable, we are number one to be watching for him. Verse 37, blessed are those servants that when he comes, he'll find watching. Jesus told us when you see these things begin to happen, look up. The Bible says to those that are looking for him, will he appear the second time? So we need to be watching. We need to be paying attention. That doesn't mean like we're standing out in the street corner staring into the sun like a bunch of fools. But it just means that we're alert and we're paying attention. We're to be watching. Number two, we're to be ready to go. I already mentioned this, but you to have your bags packed. You know, uh, when I go on a trip, I have my bags packed usually the night before. Have your bags packed and your comfortable shoes on. And you need to also be asking yourself the question, is there anything that I'm doing that I would be ashamed to be doing if Christ were to come back? Because a real litmus test of where you are at spiritually is your reaction to the imminent return of Jesus. If when you hear Christ is coming, there's a thrill in your heart, and you can say like the Apostle John, even so, Lord, come, that would indicate to me you're strong in your faith. But if there would be a sense of dread and concern, then maybe there's something not right with you spiritually. Second Peter 3 
10 says, when God's judgment comes, it will be unannounced like a thief. The sky will collapse with a thunderous bang, everything disintegrating in a huge conflagration, earth and all its works exposed to the scrutiny of judgment. Since everything here today might well be gone tomorrow, do you not see how essential it is to live a holy life? Daily expect the return of Christ. Be eager for its arrival. Do your very best to be found living at your best in purity and peace. I mentioned last night that someone asked D.L. Moody if he knew the Lord would return that night, how would he live that day out? And he said, I wouldn't do anything different than I do every day. That's how we are to be living. Number three, we should be anxiously awaiting his return. Notice verse 36. He says that they're like men waiting for their master. When he returns from the wedding, he comes and they open to him immediately. I used to have a dog that would sleep against our door outside of our bedroom and Sometimes when he would scratch, I thought someone was knocking on the door, you know. And when I would open the door in the morning, he'd come rolling into the room. He was anxious for his master to get up. And that's how we are to be anxiously awaiting the Lord's return. People get anxious about a lot of things. I wish people would get as excited about the return of Jesus as they have been about the iPhone 4. I mean, are people getting a little carried away? I don't say this to impress you. I am holding in my hands an iPhone 4. You see, it's the new one. Now, how did I get this great prize? I walked down to the AT&T office and I filled out a form and they mailed it on the day it was supposed to come. Can you imagine that? They had to write it out though because their computers had crashed. Because they were so overwhelmed by demand. But then I read articles about people waiting in line for days to get the phone. I read an article about people in... New York City uh, that were waiting for two days selling their place in line for $1,200. The phrase get a life comes to mind. You know, a phone is, a cell phone has become so much a part of our lives today. We take them everywhere. I had one of the first cell phones that ever came out. It was like a World War II walkie talkie. Remember it? It It's made by Motorola, battery life of two hours or something. But now everybody has them. They give them to children at birth. Here you go, diapers, small baby cell phone. I actually read an article the other day that they have a cell phone now for dogs. I'm not making this up. It's in the shape of a bone, hangs around the dog's collar, and you can give commands to him. Has a little speaker. Sit! You sit, Tim. Come home! Okay. They don't make them for cats, obviously. A cat would ignore it. (laughs) Sit. (laughs) Come home. Not. (laughs) Furball. (laughs) We're to be anxiously awaiting his return. If we could get as excited about that as we get about the latest technology or the newest movie or or whatever it is you get psyched about, that stuff just comes and goes. It's just stuff. But the Lord's return, that's what we ought to be excited about. That's what we ought to be anxiously awaiting. That's what we ought to be prepared for. Number four, we're not only to be anxiously waiting, but we are to be working. Verse 43, blessed is a servant whom his master will find so doing. 
when he comes. If watching is the evidence of faith, working is the evidence of faith in action. Watching for the Lord's return will help us prepare our own lives, but working will assure we bring others with us. Listen, here's your mission. You need to go out and try to win people to Jesus Christ. Your belief that has only been fueled by this conference that Christ is coming should cause you to want to reach people that are not ready to meet the Lord. And I suggest to you, God can use you to bring people into the kingdom. A lot of times the hardest thing about sharing your faith is just getting started. Just beginning that conversation. But I'll tell you what, with all that's going on in the world, what a great springboard to start a conversation. What if I told you, you could say to someone, that I knew of a book that predicted the future with 100% accuracy and I could prove it to you with a newspaper you're holding in your hand or news events that have happened in the past two weeks. Well, you know, they might be interested in something like that. And of course, you could, couldn't you? As you look at all that's happening. But use that as a springboard to tell them about how to come to faith in Christ. Now Jesus closes this parable with these words about the servant, so-called, who thinks his master is delaying his coming and is eating and drinking and getting drunk and so forth. And Jesus says he'll be cut off. This would be the person who thinks they are a believer but does not behave like one or is indeed a believer but is a disobedient one. Over in Romans 13, we read, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the work of darkness and put on the armor of light. Or another translation says, let us be Christ's men from head to foot and give no chances for the flesh to have its fling. This is not a time to be compromising. This is not the day to be living in two worlds. Trying to have... You know, enough of the Lord to be happy in the world, but then you have too much of the world to be happy in the Lord. It's just all messed up. Listen, this is the time to make a radical commitment. And one of the things Joel has asked me to do is to give people an opportunity to put their faith in Jesus. You'd say, Greg, that, why would you do that? We're all Christians. Well, I don't know that you're all Christians. Going to a Bible prophecy conference doesn't make you a Christian. Any more than going into a donut shop makes you a cop. All the cops are like, what? (laughs) It's a joke. Okay. (laughs) That was the safety going back on there. (laughs) Okay. Explaining sound effects. (sighs) No, but I, I, I would assume most of you are believers, but of course we have a lot of folks that are tuned in right now. Are watching in satellite sites and churches. They're watching on the internet. They're listening on the radio. So here's my question for you. Do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that if you were to die, you would go to heaven? Do you know with certainty that you are ready to meet the Lord? Are you ready for the Lord's return? And if you aren't, do you want to be? You say, well, how? By realizing that Jesus Christ, who's coming back again, came to this earth. He was born in a manger in Bethlehem. He lived a perfect life and he voluntarily went to a cross and died for the sin of the world. Why? Because there was no other way that the righteous demands of God could be met. But Jesus, 
who was holy God, yet holy man, was uniquely qualified to stand in the gap between us and the God that we've sinned against. And Jesus died there on the cross for us. While we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. He came to pay a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. But after Jesus voluntarily died on the cross, he rose again from the dead three days later and he is alive and he's here with us right now, wherever you are. And he's standing at the door of your life and he is knocking and he's saying, if you will hear his voice and open the door, he will come in. Is Jesus living inside of you? Are you ready to meet him? If not, do you want to be? Maybe you're a person that's never made that commitment. You can do it now. Maybe you're a person who's made the commitment, but you are in a backslidden state. And by that I mean you're like the guy that Jesus referred to in this parable. That's living the double life. He's out partying. He's messing around. He's not living as he ought to be lived. It's time for you to get right with God. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that commitment or recommitment to Christ right now. Let's all bow our heads for a prayer, if you would, everybody pray. And Father, I pray now that you will speak to these that do not yet know you. Help them to see, Lord, that these words we have shared are true. And there is forgiveness available to those who put their faith in you now. Now while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and we're praying. How many of you would say today, Greg, I want Jesus Christ to come into my life. I want to be forgiven of my sin. If that's your desire, if you want Jesus to forgive you, if you want to know that when you die you will go to heaven, if you want your guilt taken away, or if you've fallen away from the Lord and you want to come back to Him right now, I want you to stand to your feet and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Stand to your feet wherever you are. Just stand up. God bless you. Just stand up. You're among friends and family here. Don't be embarrassed at all. Just stand up. If you're watching on one of the uh, live sites, you stand to your feet. Or wherever you are, just stand up now. If you want to make this commitment to Christ, God bless you up there in the balcony, in the very top of the balcony. God bless you. Anybody else? You're not sure if you're ready for the Lord's return, but you want to be. Maybe you came to this conference with a friend, but you haven't made this personal commitment to Jesus yet. Make it now. Anybody else in this final moment, stand up, and I'll lead you in this prayer. Anybody else? All right, you that are standing, I want you to pray this prayer right where you are. You that are listening by radio, you that are watching on the internet, watching in a live site, you pray this prayer right where you are, out loud. Pray this with me now. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but you died on the cross for my sin, and you paid the price for them. I turn from that sin now, and I put my faith in you. <laughs> I choose to follow you. From this moment forward, as your child, as your servant, as your disciple, make me ready for your return. Thank you for loving me and calling me and forgiving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless all of you that just prayed that prayer. Amen. God bless you. If you prayed that prayer and you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus Christ, you can check out our website, harvest.org. And if you will write me, Greg, G-R-E-G, at harvest.org, I will send you a free Bible called the Start Bible that will help you get started on the right foot following Jesus Christ. And if you're one of those folks that just prayed that prayer, we want to just say God bless you. 
and welcome to the family of God. Amen. Wow. This last episode truly inspired me and encouraged me with the reality that God is in control and he has a plan to bring about the rapture of the church and the close of all history. That was really an inspiring message from Pastor Greg Laurie. And if you found this podcast valuable as I have, please get in touch with us. Let us know who you are. What do you want us to cover on this show? Do you have a question for Joel or myself that you want us to answer? Go to joshuafund.com and click on contact us. Feedback from you is incredibly valuable as we continue to develop this podcast and reach out beyond what we're doing right now. And as always, you can check out our show notes for anything you heard on the podcast that you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg and the rest of the Joshua Fund team, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg. considered yourself a messenger? Whether it's mics like this, bookshelves around the world, stages to take, or art to make, or perhaps businesses to build, it's time we start testifying truth unashamedly, creatively, and in love. My name is Tamara Andress, the host of the Messenger Movement Podcast, which is designed to catalyze Christians to speak, write, build, and testify. If you're ready to turn your message into a movement and want to run with other messengers doing the thing at scale globally, Search and follow the Messenger Movement podcast on your favorite podcast platform today or lifeaudio.com.